Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee. He's preaching from Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Hey, uh, welcome to Church of the Beloved. Um, and I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Abe. I have the privilege and the honor of serving as pastor here. Back in May of this year, I announced that my wife, Suzette, and I, that we would be returning back to San Francisco so that we could help care for her parents. And as I said at that point when I made that announcement, is we are now in an awkward goodbye era. Uh, it's basically, it's like when you say, uh, when you're walking together to your cars in the parking lot after you have accidentally said goodbye too soon, not realizing that you're parked next to each other. And so that's what we're doing right now. Um, awkward. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, let me be clear, me absolutely clear. We know without a doubt that the Universal or the Big C Church, as well as this local embassy of heaven, it is not dependent on any one person unless that one person is Jesus Christ, right? So Church of the Beloved, this community of, of friends who are like family, what I like to call family, we will continue to be here. We will continue to welcome and grow with each other long after my wife and I have left. But to those of you who have been here for a minute, uh, you may be thinking, do you really have to remind us every week? that you're leaving. You're, you know, harshing my buzz. You're ruining my denial. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have to keep reminding people every week because every week somebody else has come up to me and said, wait, what? You're leaving? For the past four months, somebody's come to me. If that's you today, that's fine. It's totally okay. Um, no shame at all. Just to be clear, our last day is August 30th. So the last day we were here in Chicago. But as we're thinking about this, as I was talking with Michael and Derek, who are our elders, uh, I was talking with Michael and Derek, and we were looking at the uh, sermon calendar that looks into 2023 and to 2024, and they decided, they recommended that we push out our next sermon series, which is going to be on the Ten Commandments. Uh, our preaching team is going to start diving into the Ten Commandments in September. But they said, let's push that out. Just pick whatever you want to focus on for the next month preach on that. So for the next few weeks, this sermon series called Beloved Values, what I want to do is consider some of the values of this local embassy of heaven that drew me and drew my wife Suzette so deeply in. The values that I hope will continue to be a priority for a church of the beloved, for the beloved of God because of Christ alone. Values that I think um, will allow Church of the Beloved to grow in our faithfulness, to grow in our desire to draw near to God. So next week, next week we're going to be looking at our desire here as a church to prioritize missions. And hopefully we're going to have a special guest joining us on stage during that. The week after that is going to be a look at the biblical foundation of community and the importance of community. And today, <clears throat> today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what we announced as our vision when we announced it a couple weeks ago during our congregational meeting. So I'm going to move a little bit off center, and I'm going to ask uh, Opal 
if y'all could cut the lights and show us that video. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Evelyn Lee, who was playing keyboards here, so talented and is available for hire. So <laughs> thank you very much for making that for us, Evelyn. Um, let me explain. A couple of years ago, Suzette and I, we live in Wicker Park, and so we were walking around Wicker Park Fest. And, and on one of the side streets, there was a DJ, uh, and she looked like she was absolutely going nuts. Right? She was flailing about. She was bouncing up and down, and, but there was no music to be heard. And then I noticed that there were all these people, all wearing headphones, and all jumping to some hidden invisible beat. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's the first time I'd ever seen in person a silent disco. I've heard of them, it's just I'd never seen one before. Um, and I will say this, being on the outside looking in, they looked ridiculous. It was, was kind of crazy though, because every single person was pretty much moving to the same hidden beat. I can only imagine, if there had been multiple DJs there and they were all playing different sets, it would have been even more chaotic. But it, we realized that the only way that Suzette and I could actually appreciate what the heck was going on at that silent disco was to pay 10 bucks for a pair of headphones. And so we did it, because I'm cheap. And I mean, who goes? I was at the festival to find good food, and there's Wicker Park has great food, if you don't know. Um, but I wanted to tell this story because I think that a lot of us in this room, we are living our faith like it's a silent disco. We are loving the music of the gospel, 
but we're not sharing it with anyone. It's all for me. It's all for me alone. No one else needs to hear this. But the thing is, that's not how it's supposed to be. The music is supposed to be shared. God wants us all to hear the beat of his heart so that we might join together in that celebration. He loves us, and he wants us to dance together. We did it last week when Sam led us spinning around awkwardly. See, our hope as a church is, so that, is that all will be able to hear this music. All will be able to share the gospel heartbeat. And we want to do that by becoming disciples who make disciples. That's the vision we have. So our focus for the next few years is that. To be clear, let me explain. Our mission, it does not change. Our mission as a church, we exist, we continue to exist to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. That is not changing. But how we live out that mission, that's what we call our vision. And our vision is for the church is to become a church of disciples who make disciples, lovers of God who share the music with each other. And we want to be the beloved of God by being disciples of Christ. And we want to be the beloved of God by making disciples of Christ. But what does that mean? And what does that look like for us as Church of the Beloved? And that's what I'd like to consider today, uh, spend some time on the passage that Paul, thank you, Paul, that Paul read for us. And to start, I think I want to define the word disciple because I don't want to assume that we're all starting with the same def definition or from the same place. A disciple simply is a follower. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who considers the words and considers the actions of another and tries to do the same, right? So a disciple of Christ is a person who will take the teachings and the actions of Jesus as their example to live by, as their example to think by, and as their example to feel by. A disciple of Christ is someone who, because we are the chosen and beloved of God, a disciple of Christ is someone who chooses not to be conformed to the trappings, to the expectations, the values of the world around us. Rather, a disciple of Christ is someone who chooses to be transformed, to be conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to the true image, become true image bearers of the creator of the universe as demonstrated by his son's life, by Jesus' life. In other words, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So a disciple of Christ is someone who has taken on the life of Jesus as their own. Right? That's the definition that we're working with with regards to what a disciple is. Now we can turn back to the passage that Paul read for us where, he says, where um, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now, I, uh, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. But my journey to truly understanding my faith, my love for Christ, it did not start until much, much later in my life. But uh, there are some things that, uh, from my youth that kind of stuck in my head. They just stayed there. And one of them was this passage that was read from Matthew. 
Some of you know this passage as the Great Commission, right? Basically, this is Jesus' final command to everyone who proclaims that he is the king. And he says this and shares this before he leaves to prepare our home in heaven. Now, unfortunately, uh, what I remember about the Great Commission from when I was a kid is skewed. Because what I remember is that it was a call to become missionaries, to go to the jungles of Africa, to preach the gospel, to convert everyone. And then you should go to the deserts of Arabia to preach the gospel and convert everyone. And then you should go to wherever the next place is, preach the gospel and convert everyone, et cetera, et cetera. It was, in my mind, it was all about converting heathens. Um, and in hindsight, my incorrect, my misunderstanding of the Great Commission led me to a white saviorism kind of mindset, which is wrong, absolutely, without a doubt, incorrect. Because I, unfortunately, totally ignored the other part, the full totality of this great commission from Christ. I totally ignored the reality of what this command is telling us, that we are called to share the gospel to the beloved of God and then also to help the beloved of God to live like the beloved of God. To be disciples. So the first, first thing I want to do right now is to remind myself and share with everyone else who might have that similar mindset, similar misunderstanding um, of what the Great Commission actually is it, and remind you and tell you what is actually commanding us to do. See, the Great Commission of Jesus is a call for us to both evangelize and theologize, which means open eyes and share right doctrine that we've been called to live out. See, when Jesus calls on us to go and make disciples, he wants us to understand that making disciples means sharing the gospel so that those who don't know Jesus yet might recognize the Savior. That's conversion. That's converting the, un the lost. Um, that they also might be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and also that they might understand that they, these individuals, these beloved of God might understand that making disciples is also teaching everything that Jesus commanded to share good theology, to share good doctrine. So making disciples is about evangelism as well as theology. It's two things. That's one observation that I want to share. The second observation from today's passage is this. And I want to share this because I want to set the stage of what it means for us as Church of the Beloved to be disciples making disciples. Um, the command to go and to make disciples is something that we have to do. We must do this. It's not optional for Christians, right? Our calling as the beloved of God is to be disciples who make disciples of Christ. And, and it says this in uh, verse 18. It says, all authority has been given to uh, to him, or to, to Jesus in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus completed the redemptive act on the cross. We celebrate that today in communion. Jesus died so that his beloved wouldn't have to. And Jesus defeated death forever by resurrecting from it. And now, now that all the work for our redemption has been completed, all authority has been given to Jesus. So, when Jesus speaks, we have to listen. We must listen. And, and we listen by obeying his final command to go make disciples. That's the second observation. 
There's a third observation I want to share before we get into the deeper nitty-gritty of discipling. It's, this one's not as easy to notice. Uh, it turns out that the word disciple is not used by any of the authors of the New Testament outside of Acts and the Gospels. So the letters from Peter and Paul and James and Jude and John, all the letters they wrote to all the other Christians, including us, they never told us, they never told the readers to be good disciples. Now, it's not a profound observation, but it did strike me as interesting that no one uses the word anymore after Acts, but we use it so much, right? And as I read what other theologians have written about this reality, I believe that this truth is simply because the concept of a disciple was, the concept is not different or unique from being a Christian. See, the second half of Acts chapter 11, verse 26, uh, it tells the story. It says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's when they became, uh, that used that word. Before that point, the followers of Jesus in Antioch and everywhere else, they were called people of the way, right? Uh, but now, with this in Antioch, the people of the way are being called Christians, and it's because they were basically living so much like Jesus, there was no other way to describe them. They were all little Jesuses, and so there was no need to use the word disciple anymore, because a Christian is a disciple of Christ. A Christian is a learner of our master and our redeemer and our friend. A Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. There's no distinction between the two. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. One more observation I want to share before we get into the details here. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, right? A simple math equation, basically. A disciple is a learner. Uh, and a, to make a disciple, a disciple needs a discipler or a teacher. Uh, and for a teacher to be able to teach, the teacher has to learn. So a discipler or teacher is also a disciple or a learner. So as Christians, we are commanded by Christ to be disciples of Christ so that we can learn and teach others to be disciples of Christ. We are all Church of the Beloved hopefully is entering into a disciple era, right? The big question we have to ask is, what does that look like? How are we going to be this? Disciples making disciples. And, you know, as I was preparing for today, and I considered the word discipleship, right? And I learned that the word discipleship does not exist in the Bible anywhere. It's a modern term that we introduce, people introduce to help create language to operationalize what it means to be what we're called to be, disciples. So we have discipleship groups, we have discipleship ministries, we have discipleship Bible studies, discipleship plans, discipleship programs. These are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. The goal of these dif different discipleship programs and ideas, they're to create, help create practical plans, tasks that will simplify what being a disciple of Christ should look like. But back in the Old Testament, that's kind of what the priests were trying to do when they wrote all those laws, those 500, over 500 laws. The, the Levitical laws were codifying rules that were intended to help people obey God's laws. Unfortunately, people started focusing more on the rules than on the ruler. People forgot that it's about our attitude, not just actions. Actions, they're not a bad thing. It's that the people forgot why they were supposed to be committed to these actions in the first place. And if you think about it for us today, 
spiritual disciplines. You know, like reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, coming to church on Sunday, going to community group. These are good things. They're not evil, but they become useless if we forget why we're doing them. So I want to talk about some core principles of what it looks like to be disciples and to disciple, uh, but I want to be very clear on why and remind us all together why it is we are disciples making disciples. And simply stated, it is this. We are a church of disciples making disciples because we love Jesus. We love Jesus, and this is exactly what he did and exactly what he commanded us to do. From the very start, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, he picked out those 12 that he would walk with and live with and disciple in that, Jesus provided the very model that we are now called to follow. That was the very first discipleship program right there. That's why we want to do this. Now let's talk about a few core ideas that I want to share with you as we consider how. The first one is this. Discipling happens in community. Verse 16, it reads this. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. That's where I'm going to stop, because basically see that it wasn't one. It was all of them, except for Judas, of course. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That one throws me off. I don't know about the doubting ones. That, I mean, you're literally seeing the resurrected Savior of the world standing in front of you, and yet you still doubt, but... Regardless of that, Jesus, again, is not talking to just one person. He's talking to all of them. And you see it again in Luke. You see it again in John. You see it again in Acts. The last command from Christ to go and make disciples, it is not to an individual. It's to the group. There's a professor, Dr. Michael Goheen. He's a professor of missiology at Covenant Seminary. He wrote something once that I read recently. It says this, the Great Commission... It is not a task assigned to isolated individuals. It is an identity given to a community. So this is not just a command for me. This is a calling for us. So the very first core principle that I want you to understand as we consider how we're going to be disciples is that discipling happens in community. The second core principle I want you to understand is that to be discipled and discipled means a right balance of your head, your hands, and your heart. In other words, you need right doctrine, you need right practice, and you need a right attitude. Because too much of either or too little of any of these three, it will negatively impact our ability to be Christ-like and to lead others to be Christ-like. Our passage today, it explains that to be disciples, it includes following the teachings of Christ, right? And so we are called to understand that the great commission to go and make disciples, this includes following the greatest commandments. And let me remind you of what the greatest commandments were. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40, there's a story there of Jesus who's answering a question uh, to experts of Levitical law. And this expert says to Jesus, teacher. Which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. 
So the second core principle that I want you to hear is this. It requires us to understand what Scripture says, right? That's having a right doctrine. This core principle, number two, requires us also to love what Scripture says with our heart. That's having the right attitude. And finally, by doing that, we can live the life that God intends as disciples of Christ. That's living out right action. So head, hands, and heart, right doctrine, right practice, right attitude. We need that as a core principle of disciple. Disciple. Third core principle that I want to leave with before we get into the details of what it means to be a disciple. Disciple and a discipler. Being a disciple and being a discipler is a lifelong process. Or like I like to say, every day is a school day. Because accepting the truth of Christ, his redemptive gift, to, to claim the gift of a justified life, to accept the gift of forgiveness so that we can enter into God's presence, this is something that happens in an instant. But growing in our faith, becoming more Christ-like, that takes time. It's a lifelong process to teach and to live out the commands of Christ. So every day is a school day. Thankfully, it's not one that we would do alone. Right? It's, not, it's one that Jesus promises to journey with us in until the end of the age. It's also one Jesus promises to send us the Holy Spirit to journey with us in. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promises this. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me recap what we've just talked about. See, our church wants to be a church consisting of disciples making disciples because we love Jesus. We love Jesus, and this is exactly what he did and exactly what he has commanded us to do. That's why. The great commission of Christ, it commands us to make disciples by evangelizing and by theologizing, by, by sharing the good news of Christ so that the beloved of God might believe and also teaching the gospel so that the beloved of God might live as God intends. And being a disciple and being a discipler, this is what it means to be a Christian. There's no leveling up as you walk down a Christian life. It is what it means to be a Christian. It's not an option at all. Those three core principles that I want you to keep in the back of your minds as we look at practically how we apply this is this. Consider that we, uh, um, discipling happens in community. Uh, second, to be a disciple needs a right balance of the head, hand, and heart. And finally, discipling is a lifelong process that we do with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, here's the thing. If I'm not mistaken, we're about out of time. <laughs> but I, I do have one last thing to share, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Usually, I, try, I pride myself in sticking to 25 minutes. We're not that today. Um, but we're almost done. But let me tell you, I've had a few different careers in my lifetime. After grad school, I spent years... A few years working as a social worker and as a therapist. Uh, then I got into consulting. Uh, and then I got into software development. Uh, and now I get to do ministry, which is a whole lot better, by the way. Uh, it's been a very weird journey for me. But one thing that's been pretty consistent in all my different paths and careers is how I train people, which is 
Now, as a consultant, and some of you may feel me on this if you're in consulting, we would always have these pre-meeting meetings before the client meetings. And then after the client meeting, we'd have a post-meeting meeting afterwards. And, and, and the pre-meeting meeting was supposed to get me ready for that client meeting. You know, we talk about strategy, we talk about contingencies, desired outcomes, and all that kind of stuff. And then you have your client meeting, and then after the client meeting is done, you'd have your post-client, post-mortem type of meeting, because everything's dead. And you see whether all the stuff that you had identified in the pre-meeting meeting actually was achieved and all that stuff. And I'll tell you right now, just describing it is giving me a little bit of post-traumatic stress. Um, <laughs> But when I was starting off in my career, I so needed those meetings. I needed them to help me understand what I was doing. I needed them to help to understand what I didn't know and to prepare myself. And, and, and the post started to correct me and teach me afterwards. Um, and that's when I started. When I, when I was advanced in my career, I so needed those meetings because I didn't want to do it anymore. So I didn't need to get all my new trainees up to speed on how to be a consultant, et cetera. Now, starting today, today was hard for me and Suzette because I am not allowed to touch anything at all when setting up for church, right? When you all come in, it looks great, um, which is, it does because we have amazing volunteers. But uh, Suzette and I, we would come, typically, uh, I'm here by in the past 7.35 to set up a lot of things, but now I am forbidden. Uh, and Yuji yelled at me today because I did touch something and she got kind of mad at me. Um, Isaac, I'm sorry, she's going to yell at you because I was helping you out. I apologize for that. But everything from putting up signs, setting out the coffee table, setting up the nursery, helping the welcome ministry, everything. I am not allowed to touch anything. That's, there's a reason for it. It's so that the different ministry leaders, that the volunteers, that the staff so that they'll be able to, we'll be able to confirm that they know what to do once we leave, and I'm just supposed to consult, just answer questions. Y'all here, if you want to help, they can use it. Talk to anybody, <laughs> and I will get you connected. But anyway, what I did is last week, or over the past few weeks, I spent time with Opal, and I spent time with Joy, just walking through the logistics, showing them where everything goes, helping them prepare to take over. So whether you're in the private sector, public sector, gospel sector, training people or discipling people kind of looks the same. Because it's not simply providing a description of what needs to be done. It's not just the checklist. The most effective way of training someone, discipling someone, is to do it with them. That's what discipling needs to look like here at Church of the I'm not opposed. I think I like discipling programs, discipleship programs. But see, the heart of discipling is intentionally taking time together, taking time to encourage each other to be Christ-like. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. The teacher is telling us to encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. I know it sounds very, very simplistic, and I apologize for that, but this is what it looks like to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to purposefully live life together so that together we can learn what it means to imitate Christ. This is the model that Jesus gave us when he picked his 12 and just lived with them. This is the model that I hope that we can start to follow as Church of the Beloved. And I want to get super practical for just a moment here. 
If you are someone who has been growing in your spiritual disciplines for a while, growing in your faith, my charge to you is this. Stop sitting and enjoying a silent disco. Seek out a new Christian. Seek out an individual who is trying to understand and grow in their faith and say to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't just say imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Say that to that individual. For those of you who want to grow in your faith, I'm begging you, seek out someone who you see living Christ-like. Ask them, would you walk with me in my faith? And as you do that, here's something you have to understand. When you find that other person to disciple or to be discipled by, understand that the role of discipler and disciple may switch. Because here, we are not Jesus. We are going to learn with each other, and we're going to learn from each other. So I'm going to ask you, learn from each other by spending time together. Have a meal together. Go to Costco together. Go to the gym together. Do a Bible app devotion together. Do something. Basically, I'm asking you to commit meeting regularly, maybe once a week, maybe in person. That commitment is going to be hard. There's a cost to it. Because it means that you have to put on pants. Do not go on Zoom. Drive to somebody or take a bus. But make the commitment. Don't just make the commitment with your partner. If you're dating or married, the person, you should still, you know, disciple each other. But that's not who I'm talking about. Because that's too easy. Because then you don't have to put on pants. Ultimately, <laughs> what I want to do... Anyway, I'm asking you to keep that commitment with each other. There's this passage in Psalm, Psalm 15, verse 4, it simply says this, that it basically says that the one who keeps their word, even when it's inconvenient, even when it hurts them, even when it's hard, will never be removed from the house of God. Keep the commitment, discipling each other. So I'm asking you, please find at least one person to disciple and to be discipled by Keep the commitment and cling as a result to the words of James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James 5, 19 and 20 says this, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns them back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, being a church of disciples, making disciples, is not complex, but it's not e easy either. It means that we are going to intentionally live life together. We're going to intentionally talk about what it means to be Christ-like together. We're going to take the time and inconvenience to encourage each other to constantly draw each other near to God. Because we love Jesus. And because we want to be obedient to what he has commanded us. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.